morning, church. We'll be in 2 Peter this morning. And while you're turning there, they had fun with the kids with the fishing doors, but the word is used quite a bit in the text to lure people in with the false teachers. And how many of you here have ever fished? Who's here a fisher person? Um, I got to, this is my relaxation time to go out and go fishing. And so you can pitch, you can fish with Tyler. You got the hard baits, you got soft baits, and you want to put it right up on the table. I didn't mean that, but there it went, made me look good. And so <clears throat> there is a hook in this one, so don't let the kids play with it afterwards. But <clears throat> this particular lure is one of my favorites. I've caught my largest bass with this, seven and a half pounder out of St. John's, up the river from where Tyler and Heather live. And I've caught a <clears throat> big snook, like 28 inch. Have you ever caught a snook in here? Those things are the bomb. Tail walking real, they're like swimming ribeyes. And so, man. And so <clears throat> when you're out fishing, sometimes, have you ever taught anybody how to fish? Like, have you ever been out? And so it's all in presentation. You could have a million dollars worth of tackle. My dad gave me this rod that there's absolutely no way I could afford it. And so you can either go to Walmart and get you $15 set up, or you can spend $300 for this reel. And so you got to work it over the structure, and you got to bring it around so where the bass or whatever are at. And if you're out there with a kid and they are all the time casting like that and smacking it in the water, how many fish are you going to catch? And I'm here to tell you, the more I've taught and interacted in the local church, the more I see the false teachers are really good at this fishing game. And I pray for the flock. I pray for you guys. Because as what is out there and what is sold and what we can get from social media, what we can get from a blog post is instantaneous and readily available. Facebook is my least favorite place to go, but great hunting ground for false teaching. You know, love Jesus today, hug a puppy, and everything will be better. Type amen, and you'll be blessed. How many of you have seen that this week? Yeah, Jesus is some kind of cosmic Santa Claus action. So as we talk about 2 Peter, and we think of these lures that are in our life, I guarantee you that the fish aren't the smartest thing in the world. But I fished yesterday for quite a few hours and caught one. So they were either really smart or I was really horrible at what I was doing. But as we as a local church, how do we address these lures that come past us? How do we interact with our world in such a way that we're exhibiting what faith means like? And as we've studied what God's word in our life has taken traction, so we give the community around us reasons to say, what is going on with their faith? But all the time, there's these lures coming in front of us. And as we've been going through this series, I want you to pay attention this morning that we have enemies in our midst, but God's going to take action. We have enemies around us, and I'm not willing to say necessarily like a point of finger that is somebody sitting here this morning, but the text tells me that they're in your midst, which isn't like down the road, they're around you. But God's going to take action. 
And this morning, we have to remember from our series that faith, Peter defined faith, first of all, as active. It's productive. It contributes. And as he describes this act of faith, the last way in which he describes it is, that's what gives you entrance into heaven. Then he goes on and tells this story about how he met Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration as part of his testimony to say, here's why I believe in God and why he is valid. And it says all Scripture is inspired and all Scripture is moved by the Holy Spirit in people to make God's Word so powerful. And what we learned last week is that God's Word is then revealed in us because it brings about our act of faith. Why is God's Word so powerful? Because it sits on here or it's sitting on your phone or it's sitting on somebody's desk. No, God's word is powerful when it changes your life and you apply it and people at work say, what's going on with you? So that's our definition of faith. That's our definition of what it looks like to have God's word active in your life. There's a way of reminder this morning. So let's move into 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 and 3. It's page 859 on your story Bible. Does anybody need a Bible this morning? Okay, 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 and 3. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in the destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, and bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Be alert, because there are false teachers. Reminder, they exist. False teachers exist, and there's followers of those false teachers in our midst. These pseudo-teachers, these fake teachers, they're teachers nonetheless who subversively introduce destructive mistruths that will be accepted by the majority. Get this. They are so good at what they do that democracy will win in their favor. It will be voted in. I'm really working hard at not giving you illustrations of men and women getting up on a Sunday morning who have a lot of people in their congregations. I'm resisting the urge. My brake pads are red. But I want to be known what I am for, not what I'm against. But as the flock, I want you to pay attention. What is so crazy about these false teachers? They're elected in. They're supported. They got a big budget. They're elected by a majority. And these fake teachers will eventually deny the master. Eventually, they'll deny Jesus as their master. And not only will they deny him as master, they will deny him as their redeemer. The word redeemed means to buy back. You put something on pawn, how do you get it back? You're its redeemer. You go back and buy. Jesus buys them. He is their maker and he's redeemed them. They will eventually deny him. And many will follow this false teacher's. In fact, the same majority who accepted their destructive mistruths will be enticed or lured in into their sensuous and misleading teaching. 
But the testimonies of these false followers, these false teachers, will eventually blaspheme or slander or ardently work against harming God's work and God's word. So reminder, be alert. They're out there. They want to lure you in. They're won by a majority, and we got to pay attention to this. We have to be studious. So let's move into the text a little deeper in verse 4. Reminder, God's got a way of dealing with them. God will take action. Look at verse 4 and verse, through the beginning of verse 10. <clears throat> verse 4, 2 Peter. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until judgment, if he did not spare an ancient world but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he could them to extinction, making an example of what's going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over the lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Be alert. Pay attention. Reminder, God's going to take action. Let's look at the way God in his history, in his character, he has taken action against false teachers. Verse 4, for if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, God dealt with bad angels. God has dealt with a section of demons in history. And get this, he has cast them into hell and put them in chains of gloomy darkness. Look at your text. Until when? Look at your text. What's it say? Until the last judgment. Spoiler alert, hell is not the final judgment. God's got a way of dealing with false teachers and punishing their, he, punishing their hind ends with hell as the warm-up for punishment. He's cast them into chains of gloomy darkness. I don't know exactly what that means. It's not good. Wouldn't want to be those cats. Now, for high-hanging fruit for you guys this morning, this connects to verse 5. When God judged the entire world in the flood. Let's look at verse 5. If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the entire world. See, God takes action again. The flood is also in part due to the false angels' actions in verse 4. But he's also taking action against a corrupted world. You heard the old saying, it's never been this bad? Obviously, nobody lived before the flood. It was bad. Okay, so God takes action. He's going to judge the entire world. And get this, he judges beasts also. Yet save Noah and seven others and those on the ark. So God has taken action. He's taken action in the past against angelic hosts. He's taken action against the entire world. And he's going to take action again against Sodom and Gomorrah. 
This time it's good angels that rescue Lot, and the two cities are judged into complete extinction. Has God taken action in our past, in the recorded scripture, which is true, that he's serious about taking care of his truths? Absolutely. God takes action. Now look at verse 9. I like this verse. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from the trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. What two things are happening simultaneously when God takes action? Look at your text. What two things are taking action? When God takes action, it's not always bad. Except for the first one with the angelic host that he imprisoned in hell before judgment. What is he also doing? God has this really cool plan. I'm going to judge the entire world, but I'm going to save Noah and the kids and some animals. I'm going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm going to burn the place up. But who did he also at the exact same time simultaneously take care of? Lot. God in our lives, people, listen to this. God's going to take action for good and bad at the same time. He can perfectly mitigate this. If we raise kids, this is the hardest thing to do is to be fair. Well, you gave him three days off or you gave them a spanking and all he got was a timeout. Blah, 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 blah. Right? Come on, you can smile. I know you've dealt with this. God's got this amazing way with us spoiled brat adults as of dealing with justice, putting people in timeout, punishing them until the final judgment at the same time of rescuing the godly. So where do we sit today? If you're on the side, I'm here to be a heretic and give mistruth, God's going to spank you. I don't have to really worry about it. I'm going to talk to you about it, but you're going to get it. On the flip side, God's got a way of working this out. He's going to rescue us. God has taken action. And also notice it resurfaces in the text. All of these actions that he did against the angelic host, against the world, against Sodom and Gomorrah, are punishments until when? Final judgment. We studied this morning in Bible Fellowship, when Jesus returns, it is hope. It is good stuff. And the end times is great stuff for those who are followers of Jesus. But it's also the final spanking for those who are residing in hell. I have no idea how it's going to get worse than that, but he's got this worked out. Just keep that in your mind as you struggle with what is faith, how do I follow Jesus, and i got these morons around me that are teaching this garbage. Believe me, it just makes me... God's got him. God's working away. God's going to take action. <coughs> so move with me to 2 Peter, the beginning, the second half of the next paragraph there in verse 10, beginning with bold and willful. So this is a reminder, false teachers are slick. They're pretty slick. Bold and willful, do they not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones? Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, which will also be destroyed in their destruction. 
suffering wrong as a wage of their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed. Accursed children, forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Verse 17, these are waterless springs and mist driven by a storm. From them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boast of folly, they entice by sensual passions the flesh, those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. It's a reminder, false teachers are slick. That is a whole bunch of detail Peter just gave us about false teachers. Raise your hand if you're like, man, that went on forever. That was redundant. That was a whole bunch of, wow, these people are a bunch of garbage. Let's back up and just listen to me as I give you a panoramic view of this. Even the angels know better than not run their mouths. Even the angels know better not to run their mouths like these conniving people do. These are smart professionals who make church life all about themselves. Through skillful skillful manipulation of God's word, they will entice, they will lure people in with half-truths. They exist just to be caught. This is my 12-pound bath. They exist just to be caught and will be made to suffer for the wrongdoing they do. God is keeping an accurate account. These false teachers in our midst, they make waves. They garner audiences where they can loudly preach religious messages, but they choose to ignore large sections or certain sections of God's word, God's truth. The sad part is that immature followers of Jesus can be lured in. Because what do they promise? Freedom. Pause there for a second. How many brothers and sisters in Jesus do you know have walked away errantly from the faith because somebody has promised them freedom? You don't need to follow it like that. Come and join us. We're free and loving. I didn't get enough head nods to make me feel comfortable yet. I'm working hard here. I'm working so hard. Not to name names. But this same freedom, this same pursuit of self-centered, actually hedonistic pleasures makes headlines. Nothing propels a self-serving religious hypocrite like a crowd. And that crowd of misguided followers. The text, well, we don't have any young ears, uses terminology that's rather lewd of what they do to women with their body. They become objects. People are meat. And while they look around and they sound good, they look good, they're inherently worthless, God's word says. And the final judgment is coming. God's going to take action. 
When you dive in and take a close, close look at what they really are about, their lives become another evidence of God taking action against them. They will eventually be overcome by that which they love. Get this. As crazy as it is, we fight hard for the truth. What is the truth? That which they love will be what corrupts them and brings them down at the end. What is the crazy part about God's judgment of the world in the beginning of Romans when he said people have given away God and worship creatures instead of the creator? What does he give them for their sin? Exactly what they want. That is harsh. But God says, I'm going to take action. These false teachers are slick, and they're right there in your midst. Move with me to the hard part of what we're going to study this morning. Verse 20, chapter 2. Reminder, false teachers are cursed. If this was translated, leaped on the podcast this morning. Begins with D and ends in D. Robbie, tracking with you? They're cursed. False teachers are cursed. Move with me to chapter 2, verse 20. For if, after they had escaped the defilements of the world, through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it turned back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. If you thought the previous section was tough, wait until we dig into this one. The false teachers Peter is warning us about aren't the strange oddballs on either the far fringes of the left or the far fringes of the right. Where do they sit? According to the text, where are they? Where do they take up residence? Where do they ploy their hand? Right here. No pastor wants to say that in front of a group of people. We truly want to say, I think the best of all of you. Right? What's the text teach? I got to preach it. Where are they at? They're not at CNN waiting over there for us to come, come in here. Where are they at? They're not all voting Democrat or all for an all Republican. Where are they at? Right here in our midst. They know God's word. Here's the hard part. These false teachers know Jesus. They can tell you they're saved. They have a testimony. You walk up to them and you're talking to them at work and you say, hey, do you have a relationship with Jesus? Yeah, let me tell you how. Jesus is death, burial, and resurrection. I believe in that, even his promised return. Huh? What's the text telling us? They came to a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know extent of that knowledge, but what I know the part of they know is damnable. 
But at some point in their spiritual journey, they have retangled up with their sin, turned their back to Jesus, knowing full well their knowledge of him, turned their back to him, and jumped right back into whatever it was they were loving before they came to know Jesus. Now, you Bible thinkers out there listening to me, think through this one. How does somebody come to know Jesus, turn their back on Jesus? Have you seen it happen? I had a friend in college. We would go to this detention home, and he was my right-hour man. We led people to Jesus together. Dude loved Jesus. Years later, I reconnect with him and has nothing to do with him. When I got in contact with him, he wanted to know if I still did and ceased the relationship with grand words. I just scratch my head. How does this happen? What happens? But the main point of the text isn't how, it's the what. What's the text teach us about? It's better that they had never known Jesus than to reject him now. That's what the text is teaching. God's judgment of people who claim to follow Jesus and turn their backs on him and dishonor him Ruin his reputation because purposeful and willful chasing after something, I would say themselves as their own idol, are damnable of a certain part of house for that. And where are they? I got to keep coming back to this. We're not talking about an ideology of somebody down the road or that church or that organization. Where do they come in at? Where can I expect, where do you expect me as your pastor to be worried about this happening? In Washington? LGBT community? Here, here. So what do you expect the leadership to do when we find out it's happening? Well, that's cool. We love everybody. You know I can get pretty feisty. Yeah. And I got a way of saying things straightforward. I really pray for the day that somebody does this and I don't kill them. I should say that. Are we recording today? Shoot. Crap. I take this stuff seriously, man, because you work so hard at it. I love you and want to see you grow in your relationship with Jesus. I will fight against the wolf coming in. And the thing that I and that you have to be prepared with your kids and with your friends is you're trying to disciple somebody because it's not my job to watch what you do on Tuesday at 3 p.m. I can't be there in the RV with you, Johnny. Who's going to be there? Right. And if you mature and you're 16, you're driving by yourself and you're doing what you're doing, who's going to be there? You are. And you're going to remember this text because God's working through his word. And you flip on the radio, you're driving, you're listening to a podcast, you're listening to whatever's coming down through the line or the person sitting next to you because she's hot and sexy and you want to date her because that'll happen someday. You have to be mature enough to listen to look for the lures and the deadliness of mistruths. And the cool thing is, what are we getting to? Know your relationship with Jesus and his truth so that you will be the living example to them. You win the bout. Because when I guarantee you, you get out of that RV and living with mom and dad, and you go into the workforce. How many adults? Raise your hand. Frank, raise your hand. 
You've met some silly people in the workforce. In the military. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's where we're meant to go. Do not be a coward when this is, comes up. Do not tuck your tail and say, oh, my goodness, there's a false teacher. I'm scared I'm going home. Where's my mommy? No. It's time for you to shine for Jesus because your faith is active and his word has taken root in your life. So then it becomes an evidence to what is being taught through your life to those people. I got off my notes there for a minute. Somehow in the text, it is worse off for those who have known Jesus, whatever that knowledge was, and have now rejected him. They have gone from putting the creator of the universe on his throne to putting, taking him off and putting themselves. It's idolatry. Now, here's the scary part. I fought this all last week. Our hearts are idol factories. We will much rather serve ourselves than the Lord Jesus. Somehow the Holy Spirit is working on us as a family. Do not do this walk by yourself. Guys, if you hear one thing I say, do not. You heard me say this last night. I told you I say this from the pulpit. Don't do life by yourself. How many times have I told you that? Bunches. I have to tell me that. We are idol factories. We will make ourselves more important than Jesus. But remember where these people ploy their trade. It isn't in a liberal organization attempting to destroy, destroy the church from the outside. They reside at our tables. They will sit across the table from me and smile. Yeah, I love Jesus too. They have relationships with people. The enemy will infiltrate our worship gathering in the hopes of luring people away from Jesus themselves. They're all about themselves, mingle with God's word, and they have great lures. So there's enemies on our midst, but God will take action. God will take action against the false teachers, right? That's clear as day. We got this cool thing we learned today that hell's not the final judgment. But God's going to take action also for whom? For you this morning. You're battling this. Where's God going to take action? In your life. Simultaneously, He can. Rescue the godly and punish the ungodly false teachers until the final judgment. So in closing, can you identify false teachers this morning? Can you know the lures? I can't be with you. I'm having to train myself where to listen for the cues, to watch in the actions of people. Can you identify false teachers? They are everywhere. They're really good. Now, can you have identify false teachings? You understand the difference? You know that blah, blah, almost said the name, is a false teacher. But you walk in somewhere and you don't have any idea. Can you identify false teaching? You guys travel in the country hearing a bunch of different preachers, right? You guys are going to the next play. Mike, it's up to you. Don't identify it. So you walk out of the church service, and that dude is screwed up. He mangled the text. Jordan, where was he wrong? Go. Let's work with this. See what I mean? It, it, the God, you can use the situation for both ways. Now, finally, what's their battle plan? 
It's not just enough to say, there's a Lord, there's a false teacher, and God's going to deal with it. What's your battle plan this week? That's all about them. What's it have to do with you this week? Because active faith, you putting your faith to work in your hands and feet is going to reveal God's word in action. Your active faith, how you interact with Jesus and what you know about what God's asked you to do will be revealed this next week by guys, what you do. That is your active battle plan. Look what Peter's done. Don't get hung up on this. Started with faith, talked about God's word, sandwiched in some false teachers, and he's going back to what's going to happen in the end. This is sandwiched in and all in what active faith looks like in your community. It's not all just about the bad guys. It's about you and how you're going to interact with your community and neighbors this week.